Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 232 with Rodrigo Ferrari Nunez. Space crack it is. Anthropologist, YouTuber, thinker, Virgo. Join the team as we get to know Rodrigo, a Brazilian academic turned internet blogger. He's traveled and knows much about many topics to say the very least. Welcome, Rodrigo. Uh, thank you so much, Rafa, for for having me, and um, yeah, we're happy to see you again, and looking forward to the conversation. That's what's up. So, something we do here at the beginning of the episodes, Rodrigo, is mm -hmm. uh, correspond the major arcana of the tarot to this episode. Okay. So, episode two thirty two reduces to seven, which in this case would be the chariot card. It says, "I am confident that with discipline I will succeed." The chariot card is about taking charge of your own destiny, seizing the moment, letting the momentum carry you forward finish your wedding we set in motion not hesitating you can do this Raphael. what card do you have we have the angel number 46 which kind of has been waiting on you because we had because we had scheduled this show for quite some time but then for various reasons had a small hiatus i guess that's what you call it so you still got the angel number 46 angel of perceiver and revealer belonging to the powers this angel helps you thank god who sends blessings and gifts the angel facilitates the discovery of hidden treasures, reveals the secrets of nature through dreams, and helps you find objects that disappear outside of your home. It is the revealing God belonging to the Six of Cups in the Tarotah, and the affirmation goes, I love with the trust with the eyes of a child. And the qualities include revelatory perception, discovery of hidden treasures, Discovery of nature's secrets, acknowledgement, gratitude, subtlety, discretion, bearer of new ideas, inventor, and discovery of philosophical secrets that lead to reorientation of one's life. So I know that was quite a bit, uh, Rodrigo, between the chariot card and that angel. If anything resonated, uh, let us know. Interesting. So what's with the chariot again? Well, it's a cancer card traditionally uh, for the sign cancer, uh, and it's about travel, moving, getting things going. Um, sol summer solstice card in the northern hemisphere. Um, and then what Raphael said was about his angel deck that he's been using for the past, I don't know, 40 some odd episodes. Mm -hmm. 46, I guess. In any event, uh, did anything synchronize with you or not so much? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, mean, I think um, anyone who doesn't really think that those are good things in general, right? good good things to have in some, some way or another, whether they're coming from the cards and from the synchronicity or whatnot, I mean, they would be quite, uh, you know, off the track. <laughs> I mean, those sounds sound like, sounds good, but who knows, you know, who knows what is a philosophical secret or not, for instance. I don't know. Well, the funny thing about cards like that, what we're doing with this is like, it, you know, if you feel resonances, that's cool. And if you don't, that's fine. No, I think there's um, many things. That, right. I mean, that, do, you, do you know, do you get what I was, it was just saying? I mean, there, when Rafael re read that, I mean, it should resonate with most people. I mean, if you, right? It's for everyone. It's not just for me. 
Uh, yeah, there's necessarily a level of, you know, cards that are yeah. in the, yeah, uh, to the collective. I was kind of just curious if anything popped out to you. Sometimes we have people well, who, many you things, know, come I mean, on. I talk about many of those things, right? Right. Well, yeah, the angel sounded rather apropos considering philosophical kind of musings and stuff like that. Uh, the chariot card, you do get around the world a lot and travel is about the chariot as well as kind of, um, well, I mean, I mean it's the high some, point in the northern hemisphere of the sun. So it's kind of showing that off is one, what you're about. I lived in 60 North where there was a solstice like that, where, you know, the, you have the, uh, I mean, the sun, the midnight sun or whatever you, you may call it, but 60 degrees North, you already have, uh, uh, yeah, the sun at night, essentially all night. Land of the midnight sun. Uh, I want to kind of get into that because I think when we were um, talking on your show last time, you were saying something to the effect of debunking flat earthers, which I'm not one, but it sounds like something that you might have dabbled into but when you're talking about you know the sun and 60 degrees i don't know how that fits into your model but before we get into any craziness on those fronts uh i don't know you at all Raphael has tuned into your stuff and likes you and obviously has come on your show a few times he's like let's get him on i'm like sure so i'm curious i know that you're from brazil originally and that you've gotten around uh, we've been on your Rafael's been on your show a few times i've been on once uh we haven't had shows for a little while because of my covid and stuff like that but um Kind of walk us through as long-winded or as short-winded as you'd like, uh, just kind of the culture you were grown up, grown, you know, raised in, and uh, what got you out of Brazil and into the world at large, and, and kind of what you're up to now. Well, yeah, I grew up in São Paulo, Brazil. I was born in São Paulo, and then when I was around 16, 15, 16, I went to the United States in the 90s, 92, to learn English and to spend some time in Utah. I was six months, kind of an exchange program. No, nobody came to my house. I, I, I was the one who went. And there I made friends and it was in Salt Lake City. We lived in kind of a, in the eastern part of Salt Lake City, close to the canyons. Uh, you go skiing and snowboarding. I learned to snowboard. I mean, my friends are like, they are born on top of a snowboard. So they, they were totally insane snowboarders. <laughs> It's like flying. <laughs> I was, I got hurt like on my first, first day. I cut, cut my head and, uh, but continue. But it was, yeah, it was interesting. So I learned English, came back and I decided to, then I got into a band. They got a record deal with a company called Roadrunner Records. Eventually we got first a, a deal with a label. It was a Warner label in Brazil that was uh, run by these uh, rock kind of classic rock, um, sort of rock stars from Brazil, a band called Titans, Titans. And um, they sent us to the United States to make a recording. And we, we did that with the drummer from a Brazilian band called Sepultura, which is a trash metal band, which is quite, quite big. It was quite big at the time, at least. And we, we came back to, to Brazil and then we ended up getting another, this, record company failed or something happened to it, or a bunch of things happened to it. And we ended up getting another record company, which is a Dutch, had a Dutch owner and it was called Roadrunner Records. It was more trash metal, but our, my, our band was kind of this, had a girl singing, it was kind of pop, punk, punk pop or something like this in the nineties. And then we, we went to the United States, to LA to record in, in a place called Sound City Studios in uh, Van Nuys, just north of LA. Uh, 
And uh, that was, you know, the first time I <clears throat> got in a studio. And at that time, by that time, I was already kind of fed up with the culture, not only in Brazil, but of musicians in general. And that kind of, it was a bit too kind of, uh, there were too many issues for me with it. Uh, and I had to move on. I had to kind of uh, get off of it and, and move on. We ended up, this album ended up coming out and um, we got sort of, the, the record company spent a fortune on it. And then they spent years trying to market it. We never make, made any money or they marketed it they sold it to we found out years later that a few songs were in a mary kate and ashley movie that they you know that they had sold to uh and we're like what the heck is this and that was way after and then i i just decided to leave and go study something because i had this kind of drive for for learning so it was it was after this that i decided it was in my 20s that i decided to go study something so I was 23 and then I because I knew English after all this traveling around uh, and we had gone to Phoenix to record some stuff uh, first and we in, in California but when we were in California we also played with this some band called Zebra Head <clears throat> along the coast with some Orange County uh, joints and some other places that up to San Francisco and, and in LA uh, and then we drive traveled i mean i drove from california to phoenix to get a drum set and things things like that you know that kind of driving around i did a lot of this after even after this i eventually got a house in salt lake city after this i planned to go to go there to study and i dropped the band completely which was after seven years uh, it was kind of like a marriage and then i uh move there by myself completely off cut off from from everything that in brazil and started attending university actually started attending before it started i did like six months of just going to classes <clears throat> sitting being the guy sitting in the class and taking notes without being a student and i took the whole kind of um repertoire to kind of see where i wanted to actually go in terms of uh uh, what I really wanted to study because I was going to put some money in it. I better not do something stupid. I wanted to something to do with music and, and anthropology. I was very curious about culture at the time uh, and film production. And eventually I changed into Latin and classics, which was this kind of rare degree. I did a BA on it that you know, double with anthropology. I finished at UBC. I ended up moving to Canada after that. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, <clears throat> I did a bunch of traveling in Utah, for instance, that was that for me, that's kind of life changing <laughs> in some ways, because you end up going to places like Canyonlands and, and, uh, Grand Canyon and walking around. And for me it was <clears throat> every, every moment that I ended up spending in, in places that were not the city, I kind of felt like I was growing um in a different way so i i really like that because the city is very noisy and the city of sao paulo is 20 million people and i was right at the heart of it in the center there was never uh silence and uh we could hear things even really really late at night uh, we when i stay out with with the other kids uh hanging around in, in our buildings we would be up you know four or five a.m and we could hear cars moving really far away we could hear kinds of things but well, eventually, 
I moved to Vancouver, Canada, and I finished my degrees there. And I did a master's at University of British Columbia in anthropology, looking at indigenous ways of knowing. Um, I look at Guarani uh, walking uh, culture, the idea, the the way, well, it's a, it's a whole big um, concept or, or, or story. But then I move on to Scotland and did a PhD uh, in Aberdeen in anthropology um, in, in based on Shetland. That's a 60 degrees north, and that's where I became immersed kind of in the music scene, became part of the music scene for a couple of years, uh, recorded music and played many gigs and filmed many, many gigs and, and trying to go through that work. And in that meantime, after this, I got a job at University of Leiden, a postdoc in the history, ancient history department. The idea was to look into how classicists and ancient historians look at, use theory or social theory or cultural or critical theory in their works, which is turned out to be uh, very, not very well, <laughs> is the answer. Uh, and it, they were quite oblivious to to most of the developments in in social sciences. So it's kind of it was interesting. I, I wrote some sort of manuscript that I uh, it's like a hundred page thing that I didn't finish uh, on this. And and then that's when 2015 2016 started coming up in and the questions about cosmology started kicking in. The with the observations people are making of, of the land and then also looking closely at uh, history of space um, stories that they tell and the, the, the people, what they do, what they say, their, their books and, and uh, their, well, yeah, yeah, essentially that, what anthropologists do, the presentation of self in everyday life. It's like a book, which is one of my inspirations for, for a lot of things, quite a great book, a short book, Irving Goffman, um, he lived in Shetland as well, generations before in the 40s and he turned out to be one of the sort of most important social scientists out there i guess uh, most people know about him in in my field uh, but i tend to think his work is um, especially the presentation of self in everyday life is very pertinent for trying to understand the i combine it with the work of pierre bourdieu which is another french uh, sociologist anthropologist and um, talks about the categories of perception of the state, which is one idea, particular idea that, that plus his whole theory that I understand very well, something I, I looked into over the years quite a lot. Um, and I use that to look into the stories about space and cosmology, what I call the colonial cosmology, for instance. And that's another set of studies, questioning unquestionables. That's one of the ideas. So, um, and that's essentially it, um, I guess. And I, yeah, that's, I didn't travel so much. I live in Portugal and uh, Scotland, now in the Netherlands and the States and Canada and Brazil. You've gotten around, you've gotten around. Um, I mean, you're more of a world traveler than some people. Uh, Rafael, how did you turn on to Rodrigo? Well, basically, I mean, what I like, as you mentioned, questioning the unquestionables. The little bit I understood ever about, I don't know, curiosity or even a scientific mind is that the prime thing you want to do is always question your own assumptions. At mm -hmm. least that's what I figured out to be quite um, effective. So sooner or later you stumble across this. For me, historically, it's actually been that 
a friend turned me on to this a few years ago because we're talking about all kinds of things. Uh, you may say alternative, conspiratorial, whatever. And he was like, well, have you looked into the moon landing? And I was like, well, not really. Like, I don't know. And then he was, I guess, just pointing out the ideas like, I guess eventually, I think he was the guy who turned me on to the concept of them just being underwater. And that's, of course, a huge, huge thing. If you just look at all those supposed live NASA images and videos and you just imagine that they would be in water, it makes perfect sense, you know. And then, of course, the flat earth thing was a huge meme, I guess, or a huge thing for, for a time. And it also wasn't sure, is it another psyop and so on? And uh, why is it so popular? Um, and I guess ultimately I somehow stumbled across Globebusters channel. I'm not sure how, and I was just very delighted to have, at least in my view, honest and intelligent individuals openly discussing all of these ideas and whatever they find may be amiss. And, you know, at times it may be comical and so on, or at times it may be however you would want to put it. I mean, Rodrigo knows more about the details of these kind of discussions, but at least on Globebusters generally, I think it's, it's a great atmosphere and it's always interesting topics. They talk a lot about gravity and about, you know, all these concepts I can't even properly uh, put into a framework for myself yet. I'm just aware enough mm -hmm. that we've been allowed to, we've been lied to on so many fronts and NASA is a huge money grab without uh, delivering anything back. And some images obviously are CGI. So it's great to have people that at least are willing to question the fundamental assumptions of, for example, shape of the earth, you know, the existence and condition of NASA and so on and so forth. And there I just looked through the list eventually because I was like, we totally got to get someone on who can lay this out properly. And then I, I, I listened to a few shows and I heard Rodrigo a few times and I was like, oh, this could be an interesting uh, plug-in, let's say, especially also due to your anthropology background because that's kind of what we're doing here anyways. It's just mm -hmm. anthropological study of belief systems. And uh, in, in a sense, and Jim brought this up, so I'll just reiterate, if we were to see ourselves in a funny role-play sense as new and Morpheus and me being Morpheus, then of course my task is also you know, to bring up things that maybe have not been as clearly outlined on the show before. Mm -hmm. Because we've had people on that certainly question or doubt whatever NASA is doing or Shape of the Earth, but we didn't have anyone like going into this in detail as a main topic. And I think it's relevant for everyone at least to be aware that there is a quite, you know, uh, how should I say, intelligible and rational and even empathetic faction available that is questioning these things. And it's always good, you know, to listen to the skeptics, I think. Well, thank you. Yeah, the, the most taboo subject there is right now is, is this, apparently, for whatever reason. I find it very interesting from an anthropological perspective because it shouldn't really be anyone's business. What do you think about the shape of where you are, where you are? Because many yeah. different Why religions... Why is such a big deal, right? Many different cosmologies have, have existed, do exist, they're expected to exist. They're not supposed to vanish uh, under some uh, alleged uh, scientific know-it-all cosmology, which, when you look at it, it's a total joke i mean the what the astrophysicists do it's they write science fiction i mean it's i can prove it beyond not only beyond a shadow of a doubt they you just go into their websites and they're writing science fiction that's what they do and they have, they have a little bit of uh their thesis is when you read it in the 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 actual academic alleged academic work it's computer simulations it's what it is beginning to the end it's like on the first paragraph all the way to the all the way through 
it's not uh, engineering. It's not even though it deals with that's where interesting other interesting elements come in. Machines they have been calibrated in a particular way in order to give give out some kinds of math and different kinds that fit the theory or they're meant for the theory. The claims NASA makes claims they're preposterous beyond belief. They don't actually uh, easily. Uh, not only disputable, but proven wrong, like it claims that you see in uh, Chris Hadfield's book that they have a dark matter detector on the ISS at some point. Like, things like this. Yeah. Then you, you look at mainstream science, they have dark matter, now they don't have it anymore, depending on who you look at. They, they claim that there's a simulation, and they claim that there's a multiverse, they claim that there's a quantum mechanics, quantum uh, entanglement, uh, time travel, or, or not. Uh, Einstein together with Newton, together with uh, string theory, together with whatever it is. It's a, it's a whole salad that it's, uh, in a way, a lot of people, um, you know, that's not my analysis, but some people, you know, found many connections with the kind of Kabbalistic sort of thinking, uh, which doesn't make it good or bad. Uh, it's just uh, esoteric in, in some ways, what they're doing. But they're playing with math, and that's a that is a puzzle that's very interesting puzzle. But that's kind of irrelevant uh, when it comes to people making observations of the landscape, and that's that is a problem. And observations of the claims they make about having been to places. So, uh, I like to look at, and I'm sure Raphael has seen the Jupiter many times. I show from the Voyagers, right? The official Jupiter images from the Voyagers. It's it's right. Do you remember this? Of course, totally, yeah. yeah and it's, yeah. Yeah. it's completely <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, uh, if, if someone believes that, they're totally out of their minds. There's no alternative to it. <laughs> you're hypnotized. If you look at that and you're like, oh, this is Jupiter. You, you've been, you're totally off. <laughs> and there's, there's really, in a way, there's kind of very little alternative to this. But how do you deal with that? Because some people are going to have to hang on. They need to hang on. They need to swallow everything. So they need to swallow SpaceX, uh, the space shuttles, the the particles in space that we proved that either bubbles or particles, depending on the, the space agencies, uh, the whole franchise that they have, the, the actors lying, saying different things that supposed to uh, not be different. When you, for instance, talk about stars, whether they see stars in space or not, some see, some don't see, some, some absolutely didn't see it, and then others absolutely see it somehow. The same place from the International Space Station. How, how can you explain that? Some see bright stars fly all over the place, the, the Magellanic clouds, that's Don Petit and Massimino. And then others, they don't see anything. They see the, bar the darkness. Black Chris Hadfield sees the darkness of space. It's all black. And then their images show the darkness of space, the, the atmospheric extra green atmospheric layer or not depending on what it is they never show sunsets or sunrises their satellites especially the geostationary satellites allegedly show the ball earth which is a perfect ball you put on photoshop it's absolutely perfect as a as a circle uh, even though they, they have the geoid model and they have the they have the oblate spheroid they say it is. They say it's an oblate spheroid, but they show it as a perfect ball. But then they have also the geoid, which is a misshapen kind of uh, sculpture. Uh, and uh, and then the satellite images that we see, that they say, and we looked at it yesterday, they say, oh, this is a satellite image showing the Suez Canal and you know Persian Gulf for whatnot, hundreds of kilometers. 
it's perfectly flat, hundreds of kilometers from the top, perfectly flat on a ball. That's uh, that couldn't that couldn't happen actually. So then you have it compounds that every observation should should lead to what is actually true, rather than um, you know the questions they're raised in in regards to you know is there a curvature that you can find? Is there landscape features and things that raise and are there you know. Uh, is the bottom of the ocean f perfectly flat? No, like there's obviously things going on, things that there's, you know, mountains and hills and, and all that. The ocean is generally flat. It's not even perfectly flat because it has depressions on it and it's moving. There's there's things going on. Um, but uh, the all you expect to see from a spinning ball, for instance, that the, it would be bulging in the equator, as it's, it, it would be actually, if you actually make the calculations properly, you see that everything would fly off the ball if it if it has a thousand miles an hour edge velocity. Uh, but uh, if conceding that gravity can hold it back, even though it's a very weak force, uh, you, you should have a bulge in the equator that you don't. You have a, the, meaning that the ocean should be deeper along the equator, and they're not at all. Also, tides don't follow any pattern that makes sense according to the ball. Uh, cosmology, the spinning ball. It's not just a spinning ball. It's a spinning ball around another spinning ball, which is the sun, with another whole bunch of other spinning uh, planets, which are very big, allegedly. But it, you know, in astrology, we talked about that before. It, if there's gravity of mass attracting, attracting mass, there's another kind of gravity. You may call it gravity. You may call it dielectric acceleration, uh, uh, electrostatic dielectric acceleration. But if you have all these balls flying around and there's a massive one in the center, which is allegedly 93 million uh, miles away, right? Uh, and the, there's gravity attracting, uh, of mass attracting mass. When they get close, when you have these conjunctions that you see in, in astrology all the time, the different alignments that you get, they should be getting off place. They should be misaligning, should be getting off their orbits. Right. If, if I may... As if I understand that you've been seeing this on Globebusters, like there's by now, you know, universe sandbox simulators and so on, mm -hmm. and or other tools where you could simulate if that, oh, let me just put it very simply. I even in physics in high school or whatever, whatever we learned, I tried to imagine because what they say is basically like, like you say, mass attracts mass, right? Mm -hmm. And the more mass something has, the more gravitational force it exerts. Is that correct? That's, That's like the high school uh, theory, right? And I was yeah, trying to imagine this and I was like, okay, obviously this is not scaling linearly or something like, and I tried to like in my head, imagine even with the, the stars and so on, like, or with a satellite even or anything, I was like, how do they manage this supposedly stable orbit? Because if that is really the only force, then technically any few grams or something would put you off. So at the very least, there has to be some kind of most likely electrical stabilizing force or something uh, to make any kind of orbits dynamics work sustainably at all, uh, right? For, first of all, when you talk about spacecraft, right, or space station, when you look at the American law, and this is something Ben from Taboo Conspiracy is pointing out, he's a lawyer uh, in the United States, is that anything over 30,000 feet is a spacecraft or a space station or a satellite. Okay, that's one of the... That's good to know. <laughs> That's one of the, the, the first things that they have drones that can stay up uh, forever, essentially. And they market it. We looked at it in, a, in, in the stream. I was going to point to something else. What was it that we looked at yesterday? Uh, what are you saying again? I forgot. 
but mainly I was talking about gravitation and how that in itself, even in high school, never made sense to me the way they presented it. Right. Yeah. You. You. Yeah. The mass attracting mass. But they talk about as the three body pl- problem or four body problem. They only have a one body problem or two body problem when deals with uh, gravity because all that mass attracting mass. You're gonna have the masses attracting other masses. Things are gonna happen. They make claims, for instance, right. that the they make claims that the International Space Station is often lowering or, or is falling uh, from time to time. They, they just boost it up a little bit. They give it a boost and they give you a little graph of how they boost Exactly. It. And then I just want to ask the simple question. Anybody ever played Moonlander? This like, I don't know, 80s game or something. Hmm. And you try to land your craft and you only have this acceleration. It's super hard. You're like literally, uh-huh. I mean, you crash always. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, how? Because uh, I was always trying to imagine, okay, then they have these boosters and so on, but they have to be super exact. They would have to be, you know what I mean? It's buzzed, and, man. And then buzzed the issue. Dominant. Yeah, exactly. It but took then the my first issue is, on the moon. For the fact of how exact this would have to be, just also what you're pointing out, which many people gloss over, is this concept of where do they even explain the real mechanism of the thing? They only have some wires floating around that to me look super dangerous, actually. I would never plug up something like this. And in science fiction, we have better models of how this could look. So I'm kind of surprised why they still use the exactly. low-tech yeah, version. I looked at that yesterday. Like in, they're literally, in space, and you always show this, they're not explaining anything. And you have people also in the control rooms, whether it's in the 60s or now, sitting in front of all these lights. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, what does any of that do? It's like they're in a big yeah. voice chat all together. And when it's time <laughs> to cheer, they get the signal and jump up. <laughs> that's, but, when they, uh, yeah, that's when they do something. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, but Jim, uh, let me know what is your, let's say, or what well, was I mean, your relationship to the whole thing. thing. But this is way down. When we're getting into like, oh, moon landing <laughs> space, like SpaceX, is it fake? I'm, I'm kind of curious, Rodrigo, like where your doubts with reality modeling start. Um, because you're academic enough to basically be inclined to believe, I guess, Newtonian physics will start there, or maybe Darwinian no. evolution. See, I don't know where your models start with no. uh, the belief in social and cultural. In social cultural anthropology, nobody nobody takes seriously Darwinian evolution. That's for dumbasses, essentially, in our, in our field, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, because it is just the. So your doubts about reality go further than that. That's not reality. reality. Uh, yeah, yeah. Darwinian I mean, evolution I mean, is not reality. Uh, Darwinian evolution some sort of theory that has many ramifications which i've read dozens and dozens of books about and deconstructed it that's why we in social cultural anthropology we look deeply into this uh, evolution is something that comes from anthropology that's taught in the united states as physical anthropology and it's it's the abc that we start with in our in our classes so this is the very first classes we get to look into this and we look at all the ramifications and all the critiques and most people, there's not a single person I know in social cultural anthropology who takes seriously Darwinian evolution, who has ever applied in their work, and who has not looked on upon it as a as an imperialist tool for the destruction of the cultural diversity of the world, and for the control and enslavement of people, and for the enforcement. Which sounds like some serious Agenda Twenty One or whatever Twenty Three or whatever. It's a history of a, okay. history of colonialism. It's, it's okay, amazing. right, right, and that, and uh, that's something. I, I mean, okay, so I'm trying to pull back all the way and be like, where? I mean, you know, are you a butterfly thinking you're are you a human? Like, where do you start feeling that reality? I guess starts becoming uh, has gravity to it, where you can agree empirically with others about things. Because I mean, we've gotten on the podcast before, and Raphael. I mean, he's 
not more than me, more than me, but not, you know, it's not absolutely because like he's more of a monist where it's like all is one, right? It's some level. Yeah, I know. Um, one one thing so. is interesting, like people who defend Darwinian evolution, for instance, and I had some guy who's an anthropologist tried to come after me for saying that Darwin was not very smart. And I asked him, did you, have you read it? And he's like, no. <laughs> I was like, so you haven't read The Descent of Man, the whole thing? I have it here. I've read it. I have all the quotes that I need and everything. I've read the whole thing. So I know what I'm talking about. And then I talk to people, and I've, I've read Eo Wilson. I've read Richard Dawkins. I've read Stephen Jay Gould uh, and other works. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting when, when, I, when, I, when there are people who try to defend this stuff and they barely know, that, not saying that's you, but in general, the people out there, they claim that's their reality. They, they would believe also IQ. They don't even know how that's a deception. They barely understand how that works. So it's uh, even in the so-called truth uh, movement, you have people that fall for that kind of stuff. It's part of American culture, more in general. Uh, In in the United States, people are completely colonized by numbers. There's uh, baseball cards, freaking uh, SATs, which is a form of IQ test and grading society and putting them in their, their right pigeonholes. It's all things that we you know, break apart when we're looking at social systems, cultural systems over the years in the history of anthropology, we're looking at also modern society at the same time. So there's all these critiques running across everywhere. The one the one thing that is interesting that I thought was um, fascinating at some point is that anthropologists, many had missed, apart from maybe a few that I knew before, but not officially, uh, they have may have missed the fact that there are no indigenous cultures anywhere that believe in a flying ball, uh, the Copernican Jesuit, um, you know, model, the Big Bang model, the colonial model that, you know, it's a survival from the 15th century and they had a monocle that augmented the reality, quote unquote, three times. And it had sticks and then they wrote their models and people like, oh my God, this is reality now. And we have somehow fallen for this through this idea that Newton and all these guys, Darwin, all these Englishmen, somehow they have a hold on reality, like Stephen Hawking or whatnot. And there's this whole sort of imperialist culture which is brainwashed into those modes. And they believe that's their that's their little reality. Now, uh, through social scientists, we break that apart and we look into how other people think. Um, in linguistic anthropology, we look into many different models of, of the mind and holographic models even that come out later. You know, we've been talking about holographic models since the 1950s in social cultural <laughs> linguistic anthropology, but then it comes up in the 90s and people think it's like a new thing and they, they run with it. They barely even look back. They don't even know. So do you think this is like a deep conspiracy over millennia? Because I mean, money and stuff like that's Babylonian. It's way older. So in America, maybe, maybe I know America is maybe like a modern thing. Go ahead, Rafael. That may fit. Um, just recently, I had I listened to this awesome presentation and I was thinking of sending it to you, but now... <laughs> I think it's kind of lost in my in my history, but it was about Galileo Galilei mm-hmm. and uh, his mentor, mentor who apparently was, I think this was just around the time when the Jesuits actually officially started or something like that. But anyhow, Galileo Galilei had like this secret mentor and apparently he was conversing with Copernicus. And because what you also pointed out at some point is strange history, like why is he... Uh, Basically, why is he prosecuted? But then the model is still applied, and so on. So the big hint, without knowing, prosecuted, quote unquote, prosecuted. Exactly. So without knowing the exact details, now it's all about Galileo Galilei's secret mentor. Maybe I'll find it. But some other Italian guy who was, I guess, some order guy or something, Mm -hmm. and 
he was in a sense, you know, as it all seems to be so often in history, um, has been spoon feeding him whatever he's supposed, you know, to put out there in a sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Their, their idea is to, to have everyone submit, be subjected to their model and kneel to their model and give up all their ways. It's the, how colonialism was done in Brazil and all the other places. We, we talked about residential isn't schools. Isn't this like a human condition thing? Isn't this like, you know, like, the, I don't know, a warrior would be like, I want to be chief, so I'll challenge anybody. And there's hierarchies and struggles pre, uh, you know, European colonialism. It seems like they've mastered it. I won't, you know, at some level, it's like, oh, this is how you industrialize people. But mm, people kinda. have commodified each other through hierarchical kind of social structures. Well, they, the they use, I don't think it's some sort of, it, like, you're suggesting some sort of human nature thing that makes people stupid at some point of in the, as... Well, as it's like trying. a yuga model, right? Where it'd be like <laughs> the quality of time and people's uh, consciousness is lessening and, you know, like a sine wave over time, it changes. That's a theory. I don't know. Depends on how you look it. at it. I mean... Uh, it really depends. Um, I don't think it's human nature at all. I think there's uh, not at all. Uh, but uh, it is how there's there's very evil people here. This is it's not a place which is which most people are good. Uh, it's a place where there's evil. It's right in your face, and that's what they do. It's evil. It's the work of evil. I don't think it's the work of human nature. People just want, we know from, from doing a lot of research, in, 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 even in anthropology, we do this, uh, look into war situations and all kinds of horrible things that, that happened uh, recently, even uh, you know, in many places that people sometimes don't, don't go. And there's horrible stories. But most people are just trying to you know, have their family and have a good time. Nobody could do it. But there's people out here that want to control other people. And we created these structures. They created it or whatever it is and implanted them in all these areas, called it uh, government, put people under it, gave them cards, gave them, turned into cattle and took away all their, their ability to be themselves. Essentially, they have to live to serve this machine. And this has never been, it was not part of how things were necessarily. Uh, everywhere there was but you know you find forms of of uh imperialism in in other cultures of course and well for, even beyond imperialism like Chinese. industrialization i think after a certain point That's specialization different. kicks in and then you start having to have academics trained specialists to perpetuate the machine kind of like you're saying I, it seems no, almost no, like no no look academics before the so-called industrial revolution i mean the best academics are from probably the first century bc I mean, still if you if you actually look at their work, uh, compared contrast to what we have now, it's they're far ahead, like they're way beyond the, the literary productions as well. Like the qualities kind of unsurpassed, makes other people later look silly, and that that was the way it was even past the Renaissance. You just look at the history of how Cicero's Cicero was recepted, the reception of Cicero over time. You see that nobody. You know, there's very little, nobody's going to say that they're, you know, it's hard to debunk. It's a, the quality is too high. Um, and it, that's one of the things that shows that intellectual culture has nothing to do with technology or advancement or the future. or It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with something else, which is uh, knowing how to study. And it's a whole, whole bunch of other things that they have nothing to do with, uh, with how we live now. So uh, intellectually, our world is probably at the the bottom of the bottom uh, it has ever been. Yeah, academic, the academics, the, the kind of stuff that 
many disciplines you see, it's not academic work. It's uh, it can be parsed, it can be thrown in the garbage, but a lot of it. <laughs> it I mean, it's terrible that I have to say this, but it's uh, a lot of people would uh, agree actually. And you just look objectively at it. It doesn't doesn't you know. It's we are at so the where very do you think that of, lie of culture of, started? I, I mean, um, how far? That's what I was trying to get. No, earlier. I don't, I don't know if it has anything to do. No, I don't. I don't think it's. Right? I don't think it has. Well, I mean, that's a whole different thing. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that all this stuff has to do with these space stories or how that rises. So, science fiction reality show is the history of science fiction reality show, which is a, it's a show that it's put up by the state in order to get the population to believe in the state. This is what space agencies are. Right, that's a whole different thing. That's a technology that was invented through Hollywood and to media manipulation. The research that comes off uh, manipulating the public, propaganda, uh, advertising, uh, sort of so-called research. Uh, so that is what leads into this model that they have, which is this reality show that says, "Yo, we're the masters of the universe. So you just listen to what we say and give us money. Here's a rocket, and you know, go celebrate." That whole thing. It's just a circus. It's kind of funny and circus from from Roman times, just a different format. But a, the, uh, the in, in what happened is that you get, unfortunately, for, for every reason, you get all these bad people eventually taking power in, in positions that they do the wrong thing. In antiquity, you have a model from Theseus, right? That, that goes and kills the Minotaur, saves the... Yeah, saves Athens from the oppression of uh, Minos. The the idea that they they were having to give uh, virgins for this for this uh, Minotaur or whatever in, in this island every year is a tribute. It was like yeah, economic tribute to like appease something. Yeah, Thesis I mean that's what I'm saying. In. It seems like no, but, but, but wait, but keep wait, going, wait, keep going. wait, but the, the point is that Theseus comes in and he you know kills the minotaur and so on he comes back and then they say you're king now everyone says you're the king you're the king he says no he steps down he says the people is in charge i don't care it's the same with uh, cato in the roman times it's the same or thing george in- washington even where he's like i'll step down that's where there's term limits in presidency right, in america right. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah some yeah. people kind of got it but even like george washington was like a full Freemason and stuff. So I'm kind of curious how you see these different. stories <laughs> weaving into a modern meta narrative, which has us all duped. Because I think that's where you end up. Where it's, I mean, I don't know about your presuppositions, but it sounds like you end up more where it's like NASA is a big lie. Most government is lying to you, and I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just, I'm just trying to get my head around. It's not a big lie. It's like it's not. It's it's like you can prove these things. Like you can show through A, B, and C, very technically speaking. Yeah, that's why they never go to court against anyone who says that they're lying. <laughs> why do you think that, that that happens? Because it is just a it's just a show. It's been de- demonstrated. Now, why they do it? Uh, I don't really care. Uh, you know, the problem is that a lot of people are, they think it's a waste of money. It's it's not. Uh, it's like part of um, the whole industry, the the armament and airplane and different heavy industry. It's their kind of propaganda programs, their advertisement program. For some reason, I don't think it's necessary. I, you know, my motto is like they don't need this. They have so much power. They have so much money. They continue to make airplanes and balloons and the things that they do. They do things. It's not like they don't do things. It, there's a bunch of things that they do, but it's not going to different planets. Like in in doing many things that they do for propaganda, 
but they do that because apparently it inspires people and they well, go after the children. They kind of say, all right, we'll take your dreams and fund us and we'll make that happen or whatever. Yeah, but somehow they had the funding anyway, and they would have the funding even if they uh, didn't have to lie. If they if they could uh, somehow, th there's been a point that these people got together in the 1950s. See, before the formation of space programs, there's been uh, two projects, um, related projects. One called Fishbowl, maybe funny name, Fishbowl. Another one called Dominic, as in Dome, Dominic. And these were rockets that were blasted against the upper, whatever it is. And you see them exploding against something. Like they hit something and then they like spread. A firmament? This is, like this a is where it gets tricky. I mean, for me. Like I'm not firmament. against it, but I'm mean, just making sure I'm just saying, saying. It's like a firmament. It's your religion, It's the firmament right? that a lot of people you. have. have uh, the firmament that, which appears in the first sentences of the Bible, right? Firmamentum. It's there in the Genesis. Right. Uh, the... And it's in other books that have nothing to do with the Bible, like uh, Elucretius's De Rerum Natura, from the Epicurean Roman poet. He talks a lot about the firmament and the ether and so on. But the there's something. They this is before space programs, right? This is official. You can go go and you can see it, uh, and you you see that they were trying to explode these things up at 100 kilometers high. And when you see the videos, you like what it's very striking it's not like you know if you explode something that explodes out in the air we know how it looks like even something explodes in the ground if there's nothing above it when it explodes it just it spreads up and sideways right you see that plume going around it's kind of like the you know the 9-11 towers like whether you think it exploded or it got demolished or it fell whatever whatever it is you had that plume and that plume is able to go up and sideways and and follow its path right uh, when these things hit uh, whatever it was, they don't do that. They just spread as if they were hitting the floor, right? If you if you throw a firecracker in the floor, it, it kind of was, or a balloon of water is going to spread in all directions, and that's what you see with this thing. So I don't know. I just know what I saw. I don't know what it is. Um, and immediately after this, then they they do these expeditions to Antarctica and to the North Pole, and then they they make the Antarctica Treaty. And they close it off and they, they piece it out. They and they got over. destroyed. Admiral Byrd, by the way, you know. Yeah, Admiral Byrd said that they had lands beyond uh, Little America. Little America. And they had to retreat because some kind of army or force was devastating their units, like their ships and so on. Well, so that's something a story. Was yeah, that's that. Though, unidentified, that's, unknown. Yeah, some parts of the story I kind of unconfirmed. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of it because there's so much to it. Like that's kind of like what. Because, okay, if you want to get into that story, what they say is essentially that Admiral Byrd started flying off in some direction. Then he gets a some ship with a tractor beam or something, carries him into this place where he talks to the king and there's all this stuff happens. And they have all this crazy technology and then they send him back. So there's this whole line and I, I, don't, I don't think that's confirmed. And I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But there is a story. And there's uh, there are other stories of people who claim to have gone north and got under the earth. And there's other giants are there. And there's all these other things that people have claimed. But those things are, are you know, for me, they're interesting kind of imagination, speculation of about how, how things might be here because of what we know. Uh, the When it comes to... Um, you know, the stories of space and science fiction, Disney and Werner von Braun, Werner von Braun's connection, uh, of course, to Hitler, 
going back to his his rockets and his enslavement of people and uh, killing people as well uh, through him and the fact that he comes into the United States as some sort of hero nobody even knows and he tries to hide for years and years that he was a Nazi and and he is just a tip of the iceberg because all the other Nazis some of the worst were installed and straight into into the army in charge of the medical units uh, and they ran the space program together and they transferred the MK Ultra program to the United States, the mind control program. So, and if you've seen, uh, Rafael, have you seen the 19, it's a 68, I think it's 68, something called Newsbenders. It's, a, it's an English TV special. I don't think so, no. You haven't seen it. It's, um, it's amazing. Um, and um, <clears throat> essentially is like, and I have it, I covered before, but <clears throat> it's a um, someone from the CIA who was CIA known, MI5, MI6, whatever, that comes into a director who works in, in television, some, some TV director or publicist, whatever, and it starts telling telling him, asking him to join uh, the the intelligence agency, and 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 then he then start telling him that he has a chip implanted that they can hear everything that he says that they can they and then he starts starts basically blackmailing him um showing that he has a lover that they hear everything he has say to the lover that they have a button they can press that they can kill them uh if if they want to and then he says okay this let me show you something and then they go behind the scenes kind of they open a door <clears throat> in the back kind of like a fake wall and they go into this back area in the back area, you have satellites in space, you have space stations, you have uh, different kinds of things that they're filming with, uh, with models. And, and the guy says, what, what's going on here? And it's like, you know, oh, the, most of this stuff that goes on TV is, is we, we make it here. Yeah, look at this. We're going to, we're about to make this pandemic in, or this natural disaster in China. Look, this is a Chinese village and they show this like little model. It's like, and it says, hey, on TV, people can't tell the difference. It's, there's no way they can tell the difference. And we've been doing this for a long time. Look at this rocket. Well, that's later. kind of what I'm wondering. Like, <laughs> how far back does the deception of the population go? Because it seems like at some point, modern psychological kind of understandings, you know, uh, percolated into industry. And they started saying, I mean, I, I, I would like to think, well, that, I well, mean, my it, thinking it, is this is as old as people like people have been duping each other and telling stories and taking well it is important that the that the education system is completely corrupted from from the very very early beginning right that's very important so they have a population that's not able to think their way through things and they they, they have to make decisions based on what is actually practical and they have responsibilities so there's no time to analyze things there's only time to participate and and do whatever you can and then maybe in the meantime they'll get to they'll get to to think things through, because well, that's, in, the, that's the ultimate strategy of the whole situation though. It's like keep them on the tip of their toes long enough that they can't think clearly enough about what's going on. Yeah, if they that's start thinking too much, if you start thinking too much, you you can make an economic crisis. You just basically collapse everything, kind of like the in the nineteen thirties collapse everything so you can restart the educational system from from zero people be glad to go to school if you give them a little meal or something like this you'll be happy there they think they're saving money meanwhile you take their tax money and you, you sink your hand deep in their pockets whatever they work you take a share 
it's like a, it's a racket, right? It's like a, the, whole, the whole thing is made to be, uh, it's amazing that it still exists. It's incredible because we philosophically and technologically, we should be beyond this. We should be way beyond these. Uh, the fact that we don't have, so for me, the, the one of the proofs that we don't have really a scientific society is the fact that there is poverty and misery and corruption and, and governments in general. Well, it's weird because I think they've... The they I, when I say they, it's like cultural engineers, you want to put it that way, government, science, academy, whatever. It, they've made certain things priorities. So we have better and better VR goggles and GTA and Pokemon and, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, it seems like we haven't been solving certain things. Do you, do you think this is being guided by... I mean, you're saying... Because I don't, I don't want to speak for Raphael, but I don't know what his position on evil is. Whereas I'm coming more from a Judeo-Christian thing, so I'm like, I can accept that there's some very nefarious people yeah. shoving yeah, reality in a certain way. It, I, I don't know if you think it's just kind of like, you know, Terence McKenna's whole thing was like nobody's really in control. The Vatican, ha, you know, might be trying, or politicians or military industrial complexes might be trying, but it's basically a vacuum and a shit show, kind of Nietzschean. Uh, will to power situation. So I, yeah. I'm always kind of curious how far back you think the situation goes. Raphael might want to contradict me, but like at some level, he's like, it's all good. Like, Interesting. You know, I, I think I think that the, the the Vatican and these these other big companies are part of the same kind of kind of group in a way, because you see that the Vatican is in charge of who runs for president in the United States, and they control them each either way. It doesn't matter who it is. They they're in the background. We see this because. We have Clinton, Hillary, and Trump together praising the Pope and praising Jesuits and stuff in ceremony. So it's not no big uh, serious uh, secret. Um, it seems like the whole cult society, all of society at multiple levels are in on this kind of... Well, look, well, the, 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 when you look at the inception of the Jesuits, you know, the idea that it was the army of God, it was a, it was a way to do, to it's a kind of driver of colonialism, the Inquisition. They would torture people, they, and I read I read some of the works on my my stream the other night, like from a seventeen hundreds traveler, English traveler who got caught in Malaga, and he because it was part of the Reformation, or whatever. He didn't believe the Catholics, and he got tortured big time. It was horrible, horrible to read, but it's you know, the Jesuits were there together with the Dominicans, and they were you know. They, it, it was very nasty. I mean, the kinds of stuff that they were doing, man. It's like it's almost like we can't even. I don't even want to talk about it, kind of thing. Um, and they have their other psyop. You know, through Hollywood, they present Jesuits. If there's a film, The Mission, that I talked about with Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons, they present the Jesuits as the civilizers. They're known as the you know the intellectuals. But what they wanted to do was to control information and to know what everybody is doing. This is the point of uh, confession. And when you read the works of Loyola, the guy who who founded the, the Jesuits, it starts off with these rules that he just makes up, very authoritarian. He was, he was uh, it's bizarre, and he's still celebrated. Um, and there's even, what is strange is that you get so much of these kind of alternatives, some weird stuff from Hollywood all the time and from film series. And there's something called His Dark Materials, which is um, kind of a flat... Like Harry Potter on acid or something. It looks yeah, like. yeah, in a flat world. It's a, essentially a flat world that has 
some transcendence into other worlds. They're parallel up and down or something like this. It's really strange. And people fly around in balloons. But there you have um, the, they call magisterium, magisterium. It's a cult like the Vatican um, that... Um, yeah, I saw it on your stream, yeah. He looks exactly like Loyola, yeah. <laughs> looks exactly like Loyola. He's exactly... Like he was cast to be a uh, freaking doppelganger of Loyola. Unbelievable. And he dresses the same way as well. And they are they are basically... They are kidnapping children. <laughs> That's what they do. And taking their essence, kind of Dark Crystal style. Well, I haven't seen the show, but it, it looked like... Yeah, kind of like Dark, Dark Crystal. Crystal. Dark Crystal yeah. is also very fucked up. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of what I'm asking. Like, in a word where it's like, so Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, you've got the Skeksis, which are like an intergalactic yeah. Yeah. demon species, basically, who are, you know, being uh, parasitic on the yeah. local yeah. populations. How far down the rabbit hole do you think these kind of NASA things go? I mean, do you think there's demon, inter, you know, interdimensional demons? In arconic energies um that they worship right i mean a lot of your analysis that i've heard stops between like i don't know the renaissance and the 50s with uh not it doesn't stop but it's like basing a lot of it's kind of like they're out to get us on that era where it seems to me like this might be a much older problem Raphael might not even see it as a problem um with a monastic mm -hmm. kind of position you know, it's like, oh, demons are angels, but inverted, or however. Yeah, I mean, that's all wonderful, but but just to point this out, that's the whole point of bringing awareness to the things so they can be rearranged. These things are usually only issues if they're ignored and one blindly believes whatever storylines. And I just like to point out, I think also in Globusters at some point I saw the space industry, so-called, is larger than the movie and video game industry combined everything just combined. in terms of financial incentive mm -hmm. um and then it's just it's just so ludicrous or i don't know even know the right word i'm and, flabbergasted and, and they just... also inc it includes a bit because this is jaren's is in jaren's film nasa going nowhere since 1958 you should you should watch that if you haven't seen it jaren'sms film uh that's that's where he gets that he he, he puts that point he makes that point in detail but one things that one of the things that he doesn't count for it, which is just adding to the problem, is that also a lot of video games are about space, and a lot of Hollywood films are actually uh, promoted by NASA. They're made together, like The Martian. They're celebrated, co-celebrated, like co-promoted, like Adastra. Just like the, the military is consulting as well for recruitment or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all Big Truman Show. I mean, at the end of the day, is that how you look at the world around you? Like, what can you trust? And how do you discern authority that's trustworthy, even given the fact that, you know... I mean, it's that, it's a, that's, the that's the question of epistemology. How do you know that you know? And you have to find out for yourself is one thing. There, there is no authority apart from your own, I think, in terms of... No, here I we go. Know. You have to go I like with your feeling. I, I don't know. I have to go with your feeling and see, test everything. It's kind of another thing that is actually, isn't it in the Bible? You know, test all things. I don't know. Test the spirits. Yeah. I mean, that's why it gets tricky to me because it seems like, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Truman Show, but it mm -hmm. seems, I mean, I, this is obvious on the one hand, but at the same time, it's kind of. No, of um, course. I mean, the Truman Show, I, I just, I'm not, not jumping on it because it's like, it's such a cliche in the flat earth community, right? The. Truman Show's big one. You know, I can everyone can make a special about Truman Show it, having so many things that point to the the what we've seen with uh 
with the constriction of pe what people would, would believe is a model of the, the world of how we've been constrained. That is one of the kind of even almost like a Bible of, of sorts or something like this is scripted, you know, uh, history of it, if you will, for some people. But that's also a way in which people get caricature and pigeonholed and ridiculed uh, because there's a lot of that when it comes to this, uh, the idea that the, the earth's not a ball. People get really triggered. Um, but, okay, Truman Show, yeah, he's observed all the time. Things are being advertised to him or through him without his knowledge. It's happening to us. Now, it doesn't matter. What do you think? If it's a ball or not, it's happening to us. The people snooping into your homes, happening to us. Snooping into everything, it's happening to us. Being born in a TV reality show, it's happening to us. Well, now, other things that, that happen there. There's a falling light of the sky in a sky set. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that there's a dome? For him, there was a dome. He was under a dome. Uh, for us, what does it mean? Some people think, oh, yeah, maybe it means that we're in a construction. Some people have that model that the Earth is not a natural... It's somehow like an alien being that actually builds it. There's That idea might be there. I mean, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's pure speculation. Um, the there's more natural ways of, of looking at it and there's all the cosmological narratives from the past that see the earth as a not as a ball which are very complex and hard to understand <laughs> especially well, that's a, it's almost academic yeah. right same as it ever was like there's always been experts telling us how to see reality whether it's shaman yeah. saying oh i'm talking to your dead father and we're all in ayahuasca yay thousands of years ago to whatever it is now it's funny to me because it feels like i guess we're part of much more of a an experiment on consciousness and whatever that means than i guess i mean it's one thing to like kind of get red pilled and be like oh my gosh there's a government i can't trust the government or i can't trust history oh, I mean, or I can't when it trust comes to authority, authority authority right the 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 notion that the spirituality for instance it's something that can be confirmed without any authority uh, at all because and there's models like that there are aboriginal models like that and there's also obviously things happening in revelation through dreams for anybody anytime anywhere in all cultures that dream world is a, is a real thing and then things come from there and people contact ancestors and things like this it doesn't matter the religious formulation after that it doesn't really matter there's a phenomena that people experience that's it how you call it, where you put in your church or whatever it is, how it, if you're going to call it, is it a demon, is it this, is it that? You don't know, really. You can call it whatever you want. The problem is that there is an experience that's undeniable. And, and it's uh, it went in, the, in terms of the Aboriginal models, you know, the Deneta from uh, United States and Canada, Northern uh, States, they, um, they don't believe in any sort of formal arrangement of what to do and how to do in order to, to learn about religious experience and reality. They go become dreamers and they just don't talk about it. They, they respect the other's journey, which means you don't, I don't, you don't preach to anyone else. You figure out for yourself. It's a nobody, first, nobody wants to hear what you think about it. And they think you should figure out for yourself. And whatever they, they think about, it's personal. It's not for everybody. And it's uh, and how they get there is, is by d the dreaming. So it's uh, and so it's different. It's it's a completely non hands off approach to 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 spiritual connections or whatever you may want to call it uh, in, in this other side of where we are because we're just in one 
aspect of the of the so-called reality, right? I, I guess everyone here agrees, at least we're not, uh, you know, just the body here as some sort of mechanical. Or do you do do you guys have that kind of idea still that by chance through the explosion of a superstar or a supernova, then the dust uh, has to exploded into a start, then cooled off, rotating, and then replicators started replicating cells and then off popped the fish. And from that, we got here eventually. Do you, do you get any... You, you, I gotta ask Jim that if there's I'm any much less, of that. I'm much less anti-Darwinian than Raphael. I think he thinks it's all a crock. I tend to trust the authority of the institutions hmm. inherently uh, that experts know what they're talking about. But it sounds like both of you are, I mean, like you were saying, uh, Rodrigo, earlier, that like most people in your department don't believe in Darwinian evolution. That's mm -hmm. definitely not the propaganda they put on culture in general as of ever since maybe the past well the general years. propaganda i would say is to believe in evolution how do you call it natural selection mm -hmm. and darwin style and if you believe anything else you're a dumbass religious creationist that's the baseline right. setup you get i would yeah, say yeah, yeah and that's they, where they, that's where it starts getting tricky for me because i think the authority that science gave certain institutions was helpful at a time kind of discerning what's this where this is where it gets tricky, right? You're giving like, the much too much credence, Jim. Huh? Mm -hmm. well, 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 it's tricky because it was at a time. I mean, let's just take all the nefariousness out of it for a second, if that's even possible. There was a period where we go, "There's a new way of looking at reality. Let's try to apply it in mass." Kind of like Rome did with colonization of you know other groups. It's like, cool, the picks are fine, but we want you to submit to our system because we want the whole thing to be our system. So it's weird because it seems that. Uh, Science, I mean, I'm not anti-science in the sense that I think it's a way to observe reality and gather data. But then when we start, like what you're talking about, start getting monolithic kind of structures that say... It's this about is doing it properly, that's all. Huh? The, the, whole, the, the whole issue is just briefly that much of what is touted as so-called science right now, whether it's in virology or mm -hmm. whatever the space mechanics, to the degree I can understand it, is not even proper science as you would do it. You know, it's like whatever they make up and they call it science and have good mm -hmm. PR but it's not properly, however you would call it, verified, you know, with exclusion studies, double blinds, and so on. That's usually not done, neither in virology, nor in, you know, all that space stuff to the degree that that's I right. can uh, gather. That's right. That's right. And that's pretty incredible when you look at it. And it's kind of, and, and that's what I, I wanted to say, when you say science and authority, it is much more complicated uh, than, than just there being a science. There is no such thing. There's people doing stuff. People going through some sort of education, doing some sort of maybe an experiment or not with some sort of preset theory that they had to learn for whatever time it was, and they come up with some sort of conclusion at the end. But there's still people. There's, they didn't suddenly through the process become beyond the biases of their culture and their preconceptions and their what they want to believe and what they want to to make happen. Even in in their even within the sciences, you have this kind of the idea from quantum physics or quantum mechanics or whatever that, you know, the observer, we talked about that before. And, and like I said, we don't need quantum science for this, that the observer is going to change whatever it is that they're observing, right? Uh, of course, uh, uh, people have their own backgrounds. There's, there's other ways to look into this. There's like, there's a book called Metaphors We Live By, which is quite interesting by sort of social psychologists. 
and uh, it's more for like in the English language, but it shows how people who speak English, they they take so many metaphors to be, that the things that are absolutely totally metaphorical to be part of reality and it becomes confused into their model, you know. Um, and the, That's a great a lot, point. Yeah, a lot of language is completely metaphorical and really isn't uh, solid in terms of so-called science. And in, the, in their models of science, th that's the problem, is that there's a, this embedded uh, staunch and old school kind of reductionism that they want to make everything into little formulas. They think they, they, they you know, they, they reduce everything into things that, you know, they play a lot with mathematics. In, in the, when it, the more theoretical it gets, the more it is just games and simulations. Like I said, it's not that it's nothing. It is computer simulation. Like astrophysics is a kind of computer simulation. That's what it is. And again, it's, the very it, same thing is what enabled us to great pandemics now is all just computer simulation simulations exactly. and even systems analysts and systems theorists who at the very first moment should always question assumptions or simply bought and paid for or just completely ignorant. And yeah, yeah. it's the event two or one thing, right? Nobody wants to look at it. People don't look at it, but we be we people have looked at it, you know, over a year ago, whenever Whenever it happened, we knew it. We knew something was going to come in, in March 11 or November uh, 3rd. We knew that. So um, things were already preset according to how they rule, which is by making certain events need to happen to get their agenda to move forward. And that is not just a completely random thing. It's something they've been working on for, for a long time, these people. I don't know exactly. You know, and that's where you get to. You know, we know that the events are happening and they pre-programmed. We can we can totally prove that. But to say exactly who's pulling the strings, then is it's complicated. But it's it's more than it's it's and it's everywhere too. I was talking to somebody who, a friend of my of my wife who came over here, and he I I think he probably believes a mainstream kind of space story. We didn't even talk much about that. And he is a historian, or he studies history of, of Russia, and he was talking about the Czechoslovakian Revolution, something I know absolutely nothing about. I just started asking questions about, you know, Eastern history, because I'm, I'm really curious about these things, and I wanted to see, you know, when I, when I get a chance to talk to somebody who who'd done the studies, I want to ask questions, and and... He talked about how it was the total false flag. It was orchestrated by the KGB, the whole the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, no, no, we know about it. It's a, it's just a false flag. Yeah, they just fool the population. I mean, it's just, it's how they do things. It's part of the the population is just is just there to. That's the Truman Show thing I was saying. It feels like I don't know how deep it goes, but it feels like almost everything's orchestrated to a point for some end that I can't understand. Yeah, it's very strange because it's very strange because you need some form of, you know, it, it, it's hard to call it intelligence. Some people say, oh, the, the people in power are so clever. But for others, it seems like they're so stupid because if you have all the power, then you can change the world to make it into, into whatever you want, a better place for everyone. Why not? And they don't do it just because, because they don't want to lose power or something like this. It's very strange. It's an illness. And it goes back a long time. You have these, you know, sayings from Roman thinkers, you know, power always corrupts, whatever. The, the one thing that always corrupts is power. You know, it goes back a long way because there's generations of, of stories of people taking power and doing stupid shit. 
It's like over and over and over again. And then there's a rare one or two that don't, and you get like something, you know, things flourish for a while. But in general, you know, you get people, uh, in, at least in this Indo-European history, going back, you know, to who knows how far back. It's so many of these wars for, for no good reason. Selfish reasons. I mean, Dawkins would say it's like selfish gene stuff, right? This work gets tricky for me because I'm like, is this part of human nature that seems to nah, be like no, the, the, the selfish gene story is really bad, man. Like, uh, it's total science. It's, it, it, Richard Dawkins, it's terrible. There, there are other ways to to get through it. It's not genes and DNA. It's not a genetic drive. It's something that's embedded in in the culture of the people, uh, in the way that they're the way that they're grown and and indoctrinated. Nobody naturally wants to do that. That's what, I, what I've been talking about from before. Naturally, when you look at what people really want, they don't want to be fighting anybody. They have to be forced to fight. They have to be tortured. They have to be hurt in order to, to turn into revolted. Crazy. Well, they have to believe they have to. That's the whole point. Like, they have to believe. To believe and that, that, there's a way of making that happen, right? That, that the Nazis perfected, the others perfected, the governments perfected military systems of, of hurting, torture, recompense, and punishment. We could go all the way back to the, the first humans, which was like somebody ate mushrooms and said, oh, if you don't make me the shaman, I'll send you to hell, or whatever. You know, who no, knows how no, no, ancient no, no. these things they are. You don't get that. That's the problem. Like, <laughs> if you if you read the, for instance, okay, you can, you can make that speculation. It's fine. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, but if you look into the Vedas, right, or the, the Mahabharata, you don't see that at all. You see something completely opposite. You see the rulers who want to rule for the good of people who might run across evil people, but they go and fight them. They go and they, they get off. They f find a way to, to root it out. And they have a system of government, which is uh, way beyond in terms of, of how it works. It's, for instance, they have anti-racist principles and anti you know anti eugenesis principles already and they are called the Aryans. This is what's funny because these the whole line of thinking from Blavatsky or whatever that they call these Aryan they invented these Aryans as a race or whatever that is superior race. It's this total mumbo jumbo that they, they look into this spiritual evolution later on. But when you look into them, the people who are actually, you know, the Baratas, what they're saying and take your IC tubes for your contribution here, uh what the what they're saying is that no crippled or or the foreign person should ever be treated lesser than the son of the king. The king has to nurture nurture everyone as his son, even the crippled and the and the the crazy or the people who are they didn't even have that kind of category. I'm trying to think, they didn't have people who. It's, there's lots of characters, but I don't, don't remember people going mad in the way that we have it. Our civilization is quite unique in terms of some, some of the craziness. But they, um, that's it. That's a golden rule. Like, if it, you know if the ruler is good, if the person who's the most deformed in their whole culture, the whole country, is treated like the son of the king, or oh. like at the very least, like like a son that who's in, and uh, and the all the systems of government that you find and it comes across not in a study of it's not like oh the Mahabharata oh, let's not talk about the system of government here and that no it comes across in the stories and they they're doing the stuff and then there's a moment where there's a crisis and then they they take action so one one thing one thing for instance is that there's no surplus 
ever in the hands of the governors. They have to pass on everything to the population. Nobody can be poor. The idea is they made a system that nobody would be ever poor uh, in the way they did it. Um, and also when there was a war, if the city was in threatened, threatened, there could not be, there could not be any profit or anything. Things could not change price. They should, nobody can take advantage of it. There was a huge no-no, like a you go to hell kind of thing. <laughs> they block it. They like, don't do that. That's going to hurt you. Don't do it. You know, if, if everyone's in crisis, people need to help each other. Then all, pro, all profit for, for personal reasons needs to be dropped out if it even, even exists. And this is what I'm telling you. Like here you have a model of a ruler whose model is not uh, might, conquest, and ruling, and, and destroying. is serving and giving. And it is co collecting to be wealthy. Yes, they could pursue wealth. There was not a th not, they were not against pursuit, the pursuit of wealth in, in the Vedas, but they're giving. So how did the untouchable class system and things that are very not progressive, one might say, uh, mm -hmm. in your estimation, how did they form given the pristine idealism of the Vedas as an architecture for society? I mean, no, it's not, it was not, in the Vedas, I don't, I don't know actually how it comes across, if it's even a thing, uh, how it is on the Vedas. I know how, how it pans out in the Mahabharata, and I know that's very different from the caste system that there is now with a lot of prejudice and, and a lot of like really, really bizarre stuff, violence. and Because um, as I just talked about like in the other model that violence is not allowed in these it just didn't happen there were right no... which is why i wonder if yugas make sense where it's like there was a time when people just didn't have these thoughts whereas now it's like everyone wants to well, well, know, well, well everyone's well, a little more distorted because of the conditions of the environment no, it, it's like wait, there's wait, wait, dust wait, in the air so we have wait, a problem wait. yeah i mean i mean i i didn't get to the full full story you're right i mean uh okay so yeah, there there was a lot of evil, right? That's and that's the part of the yuga. Like the Mahabharata is is telling the story of the the beginning of of the yuga, the Kali Yuga, right? The coming of the destruction of the world, essentially the destruction of a lot of things that were at that time had to happen. That was the idea. Uh, and but before before I get there, we were saying was saying I was saying about government and the the notion racism. That's what I was talking about. They had this anti-eugenesis, anti, it's not, it's, it was not about reproducing your genes and moving forward. That's even, that's another one that you see there, that the, some of the kings, the Pandu and uh, Dhritarastra, important characters in the Mahabharata, the kings, uh, the brother kings, they were not fathered by the king. They were, they were, someone else was called to come in to be a biological contributor, which is the brother, well, was Rishi. He was a guy medit he was meditating in the mountains. He was a guy uh, who, when he was born, within minutes, he grew up to his full form and said, I'm going to the Himalayas, mom. Uh, when you think about me, I'll come back. And then she needs him later. <laughs> and she, he actually fly, he's, he disappears. He, he just poof, goes off to, to the Himalayas and he can come back anytime he's thought of. So they, there's these rishis there. And it's going, it's, that kind of stuff is going on as well. But the, <clears throat> what happens at Earth at that time, the, the, there's a lot of, there's essentially these atheist demons who, in that story, God allows them to exist because God is full um, acceptance of all beings, I guess. It doesn't, um, it allows even opposition to it. That's the idea. God is so generous that it allows even for 
creatures to be misguided into following in some other some other direction at least for some period i guess uh, but the then they start coming to the earth these demons atheist demons start being born on the earth in many forms they take forms of even animals and but they are also born as kings in many places and they're born as warriors and whatnot and they start causing havoc and that's going on it's like and, the original psyop in that sense which is very kind of fallen angel to do a christian very flavor, much right? very right? similar uh, very similar and but it's it's a little bit more there's lots of detail and I, i'm very curious to read the bible how that comes on in the bible but the they <clears throat> then earth goes to to the gods earth personified goes to the gods and says too much <clears throat> enough you know it's too heavy for me a burden to have all these demons here we need to clean it up so you guys gonna have to be born again somehow and then she petitions them and they come back and that's arjuna uh, and krishna come back and others come back and then they they have a role of then fighting this war and you know millions and millions and millions die uh, and and the whole point uh, at one point the krishna of course the bhagavad-gita it's right before all the carnage in the uh, starts that Arjuna says, I'm not going to fight my family. He's being forced because there's all these, and this is where the castes play a role here because they, they're the Kshatriya class and that's the ruling class. They, they have these particular rules that they have to follow is their Dharma, yeah, is their kind of customs. And there's some rules that pertain to war and to how it, it, it's, it is to be fought. There are many rules about it. Uh, and they, they try to follow. And when they break those rules, it, it's, a, it's a big no-no. It does happen also. Everyone's breaking rules in the Mahabharata too. That's the other thing that makes it so complex. That nobody's perfect on it. There's no such thing. And everybody has a good and maybe some not so good side. But the they, they're born and then there's, you know, it's a lot of stuff happens and uh yeah and in, in the bhagavad gita of course krishna comes off krishna is going to be the charioteer for for krishna for for arjuna and this is a chariot card episode let's forget yeah the charioteer krishna is a charioteer uh he drives the the chariot and at one point he defends arjuna he cheats arjuna is going to die he's going to get a super weapon that was given by a god to his brother who wants to kill no it's not his brother who is it his brother wastes his weapon there's a brother who doesn't know he's a brother he has a moses story he was left karna he was left in uh in a river floating and was taken up by charioteers again he's the son of a charioteer and opposes his own brother later um, even after he learns that he's the brother his mother had to abandon him because she had tried a mantra that would call the gods and make her pregnant without really knowing how it worked and she was too young and she she got pregnant from the god's sun god and so karna was born but she had to abandon him and then later she used the mantras to to become pregnant with the pandavas which are sons of the gods these guys are coming when the earth is is uh, asking him for to come back and so you know there's this cleanup but what krishna says to arjuna is like nobody dies he says you don't need to worry that you're gonna kill all these people that you know because at the end of it all like uh you're you know that there's a one point there's this horrible thing that happens to to arjuna's son that he gets killed in a battle um what's his name he's a nice name i forgot but he uh, yeah, and and it's everybody has to mourn, even though they know that 
they're they're allegedly going up to the heavens they're going to to particular special places that the that the the warriors who die in in that following these this dharma of war would go when they do so honorably but he was killed dishonorably they he got ganged up in a way that's not allowed and um yeah so um i don't know so much for you know but yeah, so how do we get of, credence to those stories and not NASA? Uh, this is where I'm like, how do we believe in everything? This is what we talk about with Russia. I don't believe it. I don't believe this. I'm just saying okay, cool. this is a story. This is a very old story, um, and this story uh, is very complex, and it has been imitated later in Homer and others. So it's it's quite a matrix for trying to understand the the, the modern mind, even in a way, or the ancient mind, if you would, because these stories are kind of, you know. It's like Hesiod, for instance. Like it's totally Hesiod for me should be, you know, the stuff you get when you're, you know, maybe sixth grade, fifth grade. You should be acquainted with it. <laughs> it's like it's amazing, and that people don't don't even know what it is later on. Like I was surprised myself. I was like, why did I don't know this stuff? Like crazy, but you know, there's not no time, right? Um, and when the whole basis of your culture has been taken stripped away from you through the educational system, it's very hard to get a grasp. That's why even in the the so-called the truth community, there's a lot of people who they're very skeptical of, of history. They say all oh, history is fake, but they don't have a way to reconstruct history. And they do their own reconstruction, but then they they make claims that they're really not qualified to make sometimes on on issues that they haven't really verified. But that they sometimes may, may be, you know, may be reasonable to to have a question to ask. But really, the conclusions sometimes are, are off because we don't take the time. We don't have the time to to dig deep into certain things. Uh, and it's the same with this whole notion of Darwinian evolution. Like you get so much bombarding, you get get bombarded with it, and we get you get also bombarded very specially with the stereotype of whoever poses it, and that is the key. Now, when it comes to, to, to knowing you're being, there's something wrong. There's so many pieces attacking flat earthers in ways they're totally deceptive. That they don't get into the information. There's a pattern. There's a very clear pattern of how it's done that you have to be suspicious about. It. It's like, why are they talking so much about it if there's nothing to it? Like, what's, what's the deal? Well, my thinking talking? there is that if people start fundamentally questioning levels of reality, then handlers kind of stop. The potential for handlers and middlemen and you know governments and religions and all that stuff starts kind of changing. So I mean that's obvious, right? So it's like if you if you question too much, you question the whole show. So don't question anything; just watch the show. It's the idea. But then this gets to me where it's like, all right. Uh, I mean, this is what I'm not afraid, personally right now a flat earther, though I've seen some documentaries that mm-hmm. were compelling enough to make me say I see their reasoning. But then this gets into whole uh, areas which we've talked about in the podcast before, where it's like, how do I know who to trust and why? Because you shouldn't. That, that, you a lot of people, this is one of the, the journeys of many people who may call themselves flat earthers. Right? It's not really, you know, there's there's a, some issues with the, with the term. But okay, the what they would do is that they don't, they don't, they, they end up, to, they go to a point where they're like, I'm going to try to confirm for myself. I'm going to make my own observation. I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe anybody. I'm not going to believe the flat earthers. I'm not going to believe NASA or anybody. I'm going to try to confirm. They're going to doubt everything. Well, many, many try to confirm. Now they try to confirm the ball first. They're like, okay, I'm going to prove it. And then they, 
they start going crazy when they try to to be, if they're honest and they say I'm going to prove the ball and then they start looking at Nas or they start looking at the air and they're like uh, and the whole thing starts falling apart. They can't get a they have no more ground to uh, when if they if they're honest usually is usually what happens. Others they will go and they'll say okay I'm going to go here in whatever it is that they live and I'm going to make an observation. I'm going to the curvature is geometric is geometry. It's very simple. The Earth's supposed to be a ball in this particular dimensions. There should be a geometrical curve. I'm going to find it. I'm going to make the observation here. It's kind of like what I have behind me. Here's a, um, in France, from Spain to France, so you can see Mont Canigou. Um, but there's, you know, so that's one. I mean, it, my friends, for instance, this guy I'm going to talk to next week, Stellium 7, that has really way out there. It's even more way out there than, it's far beyond flat earth. Like flat earth is a joke. It's like, you know, one-on-one, like, I don't know how you call it. For them, I mean, I would say flat earth is just the basics, right? Of course, for him, he goes off in the coast of Spain and he takes a picture of his iPhone of Ibiza and it's 200 kilometers away and you can see the beach and you can see, you can measure it. You can see that it has a saddle feature that's popping off the ground and you can see the beach. The curvature should hold, it should be behind the curvature, the whole thing. So, you know, for him, you're not going to say, hey, man, uh, the Earth's a ball because NASA says so. He's like, I can go here and I can prove it's not. And, and that's the problem with this whole thing is that there's too many people doing this. They have the cameras. Uh, that's what happened. It's not a revolution in terms of you know, people looking at the Bible and saying, oh, there's a firmament in the Bible. And it says that the Earth is immovable. Oh, the Earth is immovable. No, like even those guys, like there's... Some guys like that, like Rob Skiba, he was a pastor. He was a, I guess he was a missionary even. He was a sci-fi fan. He was a, he used to go as a, dress as a Jedi to freaking Comic-Con and stuff. And he got really disturbed with this. He has two sides. He had the kind of empirical side. And this is someone I, I'm just talking about because I interviewed him as part of my work in anthropology. I interviewed different people making those claims. So he had two ways to go. One, the religious way, he asked God, you know, show me God, what is the real truth? And then he opened the Genesis like, oh, immovable, la, la, la. And he's like, firmament. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. started looking at the, the definitions for firmament. It's like, how can I never have seen this? Right. So for him, it was a big deal. But then he's like, okay, I, I still need to confirm this. So then he goes on and yeah, to to Lake Michigan and he makes observations of Chicago skyline over 50 kilometers away whatnot, from the water, which is you know, everyday kind of occurrence. The problem is it should be an everyday, if it is a thing, it should be everyday kind of thing. I should be able to go out here and look into Belgium as I do, or look into, you know, three, 400 kilometers, it seems that, that we can see because we, the Netherlands is very flat. But, you know, you can even, you can even, the most prosaic way, it's, it's so easy. One of the most prosaic ones, like the clouds, how they go come down, into towards the horizon they come down straight they come down flat towards the horizon no matter where you are no matter which side you look you don't never see the clouds right. curving from tilting to accommodate for the curvature you should be seeing them from under as they go towards the horizon they should start tilting so that they can go beyond the horizon with the curvature but they never tilt they, they just go down and when you start looking, if you try to, to figure out how far are the clouds, they're, they're at the horizon. You can look, sometimes you can look at satellites, maps, so that's so-called satellites or spaceships or anything over 30,000 feet. So balloons and uh, many balloon programs, they have a drones and radar. 
you can look at the distance and you, you see that uh, they, the, these clouds will be around 500 kilometers from you. You see very far. Uh, and um, yeah, so and, and then there's other thing for me. It was like obviously taking a plane for myself and seeing that, that I couldn't believe that, but I couldn't deny that the horizon was at my eye level. That's what what a lot of people were saying at the time back in 2015, 14, 15. I was like, mm. I saw the balloon images at the time that people were posting 100,000 feet, 150,000 feet, 120,000 feet, and you can see the sun with the spot, hot spot under it. Uh, which is very odd if it's 93 million miles away. Um, and how can they have that such a strong spot there? Then when the sun goes away in the balloon images, you can see it taking this kind of ball of the light, just, you know, getting weaker uh, the farther you are from it. And, you know, don't, you know, don't be mistaken. There are uh, people who believe the earth's not a ball, but they take the earth to be, like a battery or an electrical system and then the planets or the the moons or our moon and the sun and, and these things they have an alchemical explanation for this it has to do with alchemy with the role of the connections between particular uh, elements and the planets which is very astrological i guess for you guys would be quite um i don't know familiar maybe um but you know for them these these are balls as well, in the, the the planets would be spherical, but for particular reasons. But the Earth, not. Uh, and then there's also that kind of logic has been played with. It. People say, oh, if the if the Moon is or might be spherical, well, the Earth has to be spherical. Not well, and the in the other way, some people are, are stuck on that kind of kind of paradigm. And the Moon provides many other challenges, and in particular, the fact that its light is cold which has no real explanation in the, in the kind of regular, you know, Copernican colonial model that they basically claim it's reflecting the sunlight, but it isn't. And and that's, you know, something you see in the people in the Mahabharata, for instance, people who wrote that, they understood it as having a cooling light and as having its own light. Uh, later, in uh, at the time of Cicero, in the, in the first century BC, there was a big discussion and Cicero himself wouldn't, take a stand. Some people wouldn't take a stand. They would say, well, there's people who say this way and there's people who say that way. I, myself, I don't know. Right. So, but now what happens is that people can measure the, the light of the moon and see that it's actually cooling surfaces. That's, that's what, what it is. It's, this is why I was saying, <clears throat> it's like this, for instance, uh, behind me, you see a satellite or a satellite being held by a balloon uh, in front of the moon. That's that's filmed by one of the friends of the channel here, Flat Earth Dude, in California. Because people now have these P900 cameras that give you crazy magnification. It's better than, than telescopes. Some people don't know that. Some people don't know that telescope magnification only happens in the eyepiece. And it's it's just a mirror that the 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 eyepiece magnifies, but um, and then these cameras are way stronger. You can test that by getting a telescope, pointing it to a mountain or some feature in landscape, and see how far you can get. And then comparing to a P nine hundred, P one thousand, you're gonna see the difference. But the um, that's a problem. People start looking at the stars, they realize they're not so far. And that's the other thing we talked about, which is I guess the point for astrology that. 
you know, if the stars are much closer, they should be much more important than, than they would be in this other universe where they're expanding, moving randomly and have no connection to, to us whatsoever because we are insignificant. We're just a barf in the wind of wind of whatever it is, uh, supernovae. They, they make claims, man. They're so insane. Like well, they do you think s- they're like Luciferian claims? Do they value the human to such a degree that we just don't? No, the like claims. I mean, claim. I mean, like they're talking about dust clouds forming stars and uh, baby stars being formed and whatnot through whatever observations. Like they claiming they understand processes that supposedly take millions of years to take place. It's it's just absolutely ludicrous. Uh, in contrast with uh, with something like in social cultural anthropology, where you, your data is actual people doing actual things, actually saying things, actually doing things, actual data that's verifiable. It's social systems. It's how people think, how people speak. Well, how I'm people sure do. NASA has an Excel spreadsheet for whatever model they have. So, you know, isn't that good enough? <laughs> yeah. It, and I just like to, to point out two, three things. So number one, you spoke about, and Jim has asked about like whom to trust and uh because what you tend to do, in my perspective, at least sometimes, is project out the observable negative qualities and project them out through history. There is certainly some kind of a Ugaic influence, I can only assume. I mean, it's been written about enough. But there is obvious other models. So number one, in the Hungarian even mainstream, let's say, native uh, history, there is a figure called the Taltos, which is the shaman. I sent you one interesting paper on that, actually. Which is that, That's a Hungarian shaman. Right, right. right and the, there is a, by uh, Attila Grandpierre, there is a paper where he even uh, connects the royal magi to the Magyars. And then I always say, you know, Magyar, Mog Aryan, Mog means seed, seed Aryan, you know, all kinds of interesting mm-hmm. connections. Anyhow, the Taltos as the shaman was usually one who was deformed, for example, having six fingers. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's exactly what you're pointing out that the most deformed, which otherwise may be euthanized or something in a different ideology, here actually is elevated to well, a high and, and important and that, position. That, that is like there is one model, but the Romans, for instance, if someone had was a hermaphrodite, they had to kill it. It was like they would find it and they would find it and they would kill. They think they thought that it, it polluted their cities. They were looking at a purification model. I think um, even yeah. what's that? But, weird but you're right. Movie? But you're right about right. this. Uh, just just to finish that, and also there's a model, for instance, like in Brazilian Indians of Bororó, they had two kinds of shamans. They're, they're completely different, it, and you can you know it's spiritual practitioners, I guess you can call it whatever. Even the word spirit, you know, it's something that's questioned even within anthropology. But okay, one of the guys is like he connects to the demiurgical kind of beings. This is a scary guy. He's dirty, he doesn't shower, he stays in his hut. He's he's kind of scary and he has the connections with the the demiurges, the the kind of former It's black magic. It's, it's not really black magic. It's not it's not really black magic. Something but it's scary. It's kind of scary. Uh, but it's also it also has to do with the with the for me it's not he's not attacking people. He's not there to kill people. He's not there to do to produce in this culture that doesn't that doesn't exist. He's not there to be doing incantations and taking money from people for doing things like that. It's not like that. That's a whole other. There's other. In Brazil, you have that. It's different. In other places, you have the macumba and and kind of things that are similar to voodoo. It's called in the states. That this is nothing to do with that. It's not African. It was the indigenous American indigenous kind of stuff from, from Brazil. But so then, is this practitioner? 
and I guess you'd be more about disease maybe to, to get cured to it's something to do with the creative force. It's strange, but it's, that's it. And the other one, it was known as the, the master of the way. And that person could not take gifts, could not wear jewelry or have special regalia or things done for them in any special way. Uh, and they had to serve the, the, the the culture the society and their role was to help people to when they pass on so that they could rise and go to the right direction uh, because of the river there's a river in the sky that corresponds to the rivers on on the ground and to go to the right city in the astral plane to the right place to the, the the community in the spiritual world that's connected to their community on the, the earth. I mean, that's, that was their idea. And this person, is, as the master of the way, it's that kind of cleansing person. It's the person who, who is not a shaman, is not, is, is different, right? It's kind of, it's very Jesus-like. It, it, and uh, it's, it's the formulation of this character, right? They, they're humble, they don't take gifts, they don't, you know, they're, they're there. Very to, aesthetic. Ascetic, yeah, very much kind of like that. So you have so many of these different models, uh, and it's 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 hard to pin it all down into a particular call it all shamanism, but you know, it's it's kind of it's a shortcut, but it's fine, it's fine as a shortcut, I guess. But it's just important to differentiate the, the models because they're very, very different sometimes. So, but, just in terms of uh, whom to trust and how to trust, I'd like to point out two more things because Jim had asked. So, number one. There's a meme, Jeremy Kaufman, the founder of Library and Odyssey, which, by the way, is being sued right now. So help library save crypto.com. This may become a quite, yeah. or should I say, important uh, conflict, however, or result. Anyway, yeah, I, use, to... I use Odyssey. I use Odyssey. It's yes, great. but maybe you've heard that, you know, just now the SEC is going after them because they built the most successful, you know, crypto alternative yeah, information yeah. platform. Of course. But... If they lose sure. control, they go crazy, right? Exactly, but they, 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 they're, they're losing control, which is good. Anyhow, he posted a meme, and it was like on the left side, it says, Mate, I trust my instincts. If it worked for my gran, it will work for me. Simple as. You have like some funny looking, you know, caricatures on the one side. Here it says population IQ distribution, which we may not subscribe to, but for the sake of the meme. So they're on the low end. Then, uh, and then on the middle, you have like a Reddit figure and this like, you know, hipster uh, stick figure guy with a beard saying, I'm going to need a source for that. And they have like the highest, you know, they're like in the middle of the distribution. And then on the far right with, you know, the smartest people, supposedly, let's say Nietzsche and some other philosophers saying it's perfectly rational to trust in your deep instincts. In this case, the explanation being since they evolved through generations of evolutionary pressure. But anyhow, just pointing out that there is, um, you know, there's a lot to say about whether you really ultimately need or should trust in any outside authority or to what degree one should trust one's own instincts, of course. Uh, yeah, even if people, you know, even if people have good intentions and do the right thing, sometimes they might still right. be indoctrinated into some exactly. other. There's too many of these, what we may call just so stories that people are really unable to to reflect on because they don't have time, not because they're stupid. I, I don't believe that everybody is stupid. And I, what I was saying about before, that you know, IQ is total bogus for for very specific for sure. reasons. But the but I made a claim which was that intellectually we are at the bottom of of, of you know pretty much all time maybe right now. Um, and that is very similar to saying people have low IQs perhaps maybe. 
but it's very different as well, right? Uh, as a shortcut, it, it might be similar because you can, but you know, you can test it. You can see just <laughs> what kind of things people are doing. Uh, but it's just, also, it's a general impression, right? Um, go ahead, go on. Sorry. No, just to point out one more thing, coming back to our favorite topics in terms of Jesuits, we're talking about whom to trust or what. To me, it's very simple. You know, those stories that are the most generally shared assumptions that go on questions or are marked if they are questioned, these are all the questions one should always get into from my point of view, or that's where the gold is. Mm. And then one just looks at the structure and we briefly explained, you know, the origins of the Jesuits or, you know, their connections with this whole model. And you, oh, let's say you explained the rules and how authoritarian there are. And then if I look at their connections and that they basically set up this um, system of viewing the world and also viewing humans, mm. then at the very least I can know uh, without you know any further proof of ver much verification that those are the ideas one should be especially skeptical about and then if one realizes how embedded many of these layers are like we talked about you know darwinism evolutionary biology um astronomical yeah, those, models and so on come with a lot of power simple. it's very hard to resist it because it comes from the stage remember that the people who are on stage you know when you go to a concert you see the band they really like you want to you know, I've been to concerts like bands that, you know, I saw Steve Vai or something for me. He was a guitar god at the time, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I wanted to pay attention. I wanted to be involved in every single second or, you know, different jazz artists that, that I saw, you know. I, um, and when, and so you're, you're, you're there to enjoy in a way. Things that are coming from the stage also, they take the immediate kind of sense of being very special. Things that are on the stage. And though that all those stories have been staged to you all your life because the yeah, but I'm, just media, briefly, I'm like the fun stops when it's detrimental to my health. That's a very simple line for me. But go on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it's very hard to to tell because you're you're, you're like a fish in a in a in a fish tank, you know, for for most of the time. You you don't really have a choice. You just have to take it as it comes. And you don't have the resources to to immediately get around it, unless your parents are really telling you. You know, you should, from the very beginning, you should trust your intuition. This is the questions you need to always ask. The question you always try to verify. How is it that you know you have to think about? It. You have to see how you feel about it as well. Um, you know, we know that children have to be convinced that the earth's not is a ball. They have to be convinced uh, because the model that they draw first and first most is always flat. They can't, can't believe that there's people on the other side of a ball hanging upside down. It's resisted and it's been studied in, in, in academia. That's super interesting with the whole, I mean, all questions regarding the history, the future and the present state of humans. They but... only agree it's a ball after they start drawing themselves in some ball because they don't draw, <laughs> children don't draw, you know, naturally that kind of stuff. They do that because they're told it's stupid to think otherwise. Right, right, know? of course. Yeah, I just want to point out it's interesting how many ideas there are where automatically we are by default because it's you know so deeply installed in our software, adding layers like ideas like refraction and so on, which I don't know mm -hmm. enough about to you know make claims about it's it. It's like or the one uh, excuse. Oh no, this uh, uh, it looks like it's flat because of refraction, right? That's uh... yeah, or it's so real because it looks so fake, you know. And then because at some point <laughs> it becomes so absurd, and I'm like, okay, I'm adding. I have to add twenty layers of making up stuff in my own mind if I'm watching like uh, this Israeli moonflight for example <laughs> to be able to imagine that something is actually going on or even this recent <laughs> yeah. some recent nasa it's thing difficult. they showed all they showed was like this 
sorry, but stupid like conference room. They didn't really show and they showed some interviews most of the time. <laughs> and then five minutes, something doing something, yeah, and wasting. And that's the other part, it's like not only it's so time. expensive, but I'm like, okay. And that's where the eugenics thing as a last part comes in, in terms mm -hmm. of ideology. Like you're deliberately wasting resources in front of the entire world, even if they use enough in other black projects, they're not probably telling us or allowing us to benefit from yet, I hope, yeah. But even just what's visible, it's such a huge waste and people are starving. Like, what is this? This, this is insane. It is the Apollo but it's effect, normal. they call it. But it's they normal, it, you know. They call it the Apollo effect is what I said before. Is the, the, what they pulled in the population back in the 60s. They want it, they sell that as a marketing package for India, for the United Arab Emirates. I'm not sure you've seen their space program, it's hilarious. There's the Indian, there's them. It's a, they all say the same thing make the impossible possible. They have the same slogan sold to them by, by NASA. It's, the it's same a franchise, thing. it's a franchise, it's straight up, it has all the marks of it. But, um, and it is the idea. And when you read, you can read about Israeli uh, in their website. You can read it on the Arabs, what they're doing, they tell you, and uh, the Indians and everything. It's for inspiring people to get careers in the science. That, that's the main point is, uh, and this boils down to being what they call openly the Apollo effect. It's called, even in the academic literature, in the academic literature, there's a myth that there's the Apollo effect. It's like hyper collaboration is when people are so motivated that you can't stop them from like solving problems together and, and being hyper productive. So it's like some sort of mythological uh, collaboration thing. And that's great. But then if you use it all up for solving artificial problems or something that hardly concerns anybody on this earth, you know, it's just, for yeah. me at least, it's a huge waste of resources and, yeah. you know, but for them incredible. it isn't. Yeah, for them, it is, especially for the government, it isn't because it keeps the authority figures in place. It keeps the, the people thinking that the government is going places. They're going to colonize space. They're going to be becoming an interplanetary species because Elon Musk says so. And Elon Musk is considered a public intellectual nowadays because he tweets, okay? This is the world we're in. Like where somebody who can barely string two sentences together is considered a public intellectual because he tweets. So it's, it's, we are in the bottom of the bottom in terms of, uh, the perception of the population to understand what they're actually seeing. So apparently because Elon Musk has, is a billionaire that makes a difference in what he says for a lot of people. And then he can get away with saying anything. Um, no matter how preposterous it is and he Strange can get away days. with lots of lies but still um you know you know it's real because it looks so fake he puts a car flying around the earth there's no there's so many glitches so many issues with it the people people destroyed it within a couple of days that was blasted all over the world as a uh, somehow take that flat earthers moment like there were people posting it on Facebook, take that flat earthers and the, this, the car flying out in, uh, with the ball earth, uh, with, the, with, the, with all these issues that it had on that ball, that particular ball earth. Because we, we do a comparative study of all these images of the, of the earth from space that have been published and how they don't fit the, how it's not the same object. There's different updates, there's different kinds of atmospheres, different kinds of, there's all kinds of, which should, for the people who believe it, should all be subsumed, oh, it's the camera settings. 
Like it's all it just goes under camera settings category. It's kind of like, you know, what makes so that the Voyagers can f be flying in space, still focus on Jupiter and not move the camera. And one time Jupiter has the bands moving and spinning or not moving and spinning. And the other times it's not spinning. The other time it's not spinning, but uh, <laughs> they, they, put, they throw in people's faces completely impossible stuff. They just say it is what they want you to believe it is, and people really they don't question. It's quite amazing, and it's how hypno deep hypnotism seems to work apparently. But I don't think people are necessarily stupid. Just hypnotized. And, yeah, and I think actually that if they they know, and this is one of the things. It's just I don't know for sure. I think that they know that if they stop doing the propaganda, they will lose immediately. If it's they fall apart, yeah. You have to apart. reinforce the lie. You know, it's always what they say. The truth stands for itself. A lie has to be reinforced always, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's kind of how it is. They, they need to keep hammered. They need. They can't stop because if the, any any space they give, the whole thing will fall apart. It, it was almost falling apart in the last few years. They had to prep up their censorship really hardcore and really uh, go, try to go after people, try to really... They hired the same actors from Disney, the uh, Logan Paul and some other cronies, some other idiots who work with the same people, like Simon Dan. This is a guy who only exists to lie about Flat Earthers. Uh, Logan Paul is another Disney actor. And they people put together a, an expose where they looked at all these people whose lives they live in function that the flat earthers exist and they need to do battle apparently supposedly they're in the size of reason but they lie constantly and they be caught lying and they use the same um production company that does the same thumbnails with the, in the same style for a bunch of them they're all part of the same group they work with the same artists uh and and it turns out that logan paul is is involved with disney and there was one guy there's one guy on in the flat earth who also caused all kinds of problems by lying to members of the community and organizing the conferences in ways that he allowed these trolls to come in. Uh, so it's been, for me, it's interesting as an anthropologist because of the prejudice that exists and the, the, the fact, which is very bizarre, and you rarely see this type of hatred where people are, are so triggered, they're willing to get out of, get out of the way, come out of the woodwork in order to to try to disrupt somebody else's activity, which is criminal and shouldn't be allowed. And it isn't allowed in most cases. You can't go in a synagogue and do that. You can't go in a, in, in a church and do that, but you can do it if it's a flat earther somehow. So that makes it a, this incredible exception in the whole history of prejudice and, and racism that, um, that somehow it's like the ultimate fit. dunce cap to society. Yeah, so, that's kind I mean, of dunce cap. It's been set like, up like that, and it's and and because that's been set up like that, it should make people think there's something wrong. Question the wrong. system. Right. Yeah, there's something really strange about this. But Perfect. well, yeah. thank you so much, Rodrigo. I really don't want to cut you off, but since we have a back-to-back -back episode today. I think what you left us with was perfect and something to look into. Even just this exceptional prejudice should be enough to have everyone uh, take a second look. So what I'd ask you to do now is maybe just share a website. It will be linked, of course, as well. And any parting thoughts you may have. Yeah, my website, there's also my Patreon. I'm teaching a Latin course Mondays. Um, we started last week 
for for people who are supporting my work either on Patreon or Twitch or uh, on my website, which is just my name, Rodrigo, Rodrigo Ferrari Nunes.com or rfn.world. And Patreon is patreon.com slash anthropology. And um, yeah, I'm doing, I'm going to be doing kind of a series of courses now, kind of going in with a different kind of format from what I've been doing uh, in the past, uh, which is uh, focusing on particular issues. So there'll be, and I'm thinking there's a course on cosmology and questioning cosmology, which is something I prepared over a year ago, which would be kind of a 12 week kind of thing that I want to get started sometime soon. Um, and one in anthropology, um, try to understand what it is. And, and there's a, there's a book I found that I think is particularly interesting. And, and I kind of going with what the, the audience that, and my patrons are, are seem to resonate with. And so I get in touch with them. Usually I, we talk, we, I, I know what they like and, and I, I can see the kind of stuff they're sharing on, on discord and we get, we, we get involved a lot and it's very good in terms of, um, you know, it's better than, it's like we having a little research group that is, that is with people who are really trying to do things on their own. I don't, I, my, the way I do, I don't care what people think really. I don't, don't really care. I just like to talk about stuff and analyze things. And we talked about that before. And I think people should have their own minds. I think I really do think that and I don't like preaching. But I, but I also, um, I like to defend my positions and I, I love kind of challenges and hard questions. It's really kind of, I enjoy that. It's more like a, it's, it's not like a game, but it's like something that, that is really pleasurable for me to deal with ideas, com comparing things and looking across time in, in, in different cultures. I think, I think it's just very enjoyable. And, and that, and then also seeing what kind of, what the, these transformations, like the, the, what I, you can call epistemological transformations, you know, how people change the paradigms and how many times it can happen. And, and still you, you'll be, you can fall for, um, I don't know. It's a, nobody, it's nobody has the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody has the upper hand on anybody else. This is what I, I like to say. You know, I, I think I escaped some pitfalls out there, but maybe I haven't, who knows? You know, it's, it's always good to be very, uh, you know, for me, what, what, what I mean when I talk about reflexivity is that it's like trying to catch your own red flags rather than, rather than others, you're trying to see what is it that you're, you know, what are the limits? How can you, how can you move beyond it? And, you know, looking at things that are different, but there's always the, the point that can be made that you're, by looking at something here, you're not looking at something there and, you know. Off you go. We all just got to carve our own path. I think we we have no alternative. And for for us who like to communicate and talk to people and listen to to what they have to say and and be challenged, uh, I mean, I think that's just that's that's all we want really. Uh, and I don't think it makes a difference in my life, at least. And it's something I've been talking about a lot. It makes no difference if the person I'm talking to believes the ball or believes NASA. I'm not gonna. I don't care. I can recognize that person's contribution for what it is, their right to be here and to have that opinion. I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to cry if they don't agree with me. And I'm not going to, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm, I know what I believe and, and I'm not going to be prejudiced against people unless they're coming at me and they're swinging and they're attacking me or something. They're not going to respond in the same level. But if it's, you know, no reason to be antagonizing people just because they don't share my 
critique of the mainstream cosmology. For me, it makes that's no sense. Up. That's what's up. Rodrigo, we'll have to get you Thank on you. here again um, right. to talk about these kinds of things because you obviously enjoy talking and uh, like you were saying, you're not biased in, a, in an appropriate way, so I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on, Rafael. Thanks for getting on. Uh, Team Rabbit Hole in action for sure. So find the others, guys, and ask questions all day. Thank you very much. Yes, sharpening the blade of integrity, polishing the mirror, you know, ever-increasing unconditional love. Thank you so much, Rodrigo, and Thank you guys. talk soon. Thank you. All right. Radio Pokey.